Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrantz and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrantz and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to tonight's Dash Radio show. My name is Dawn Wright DeBrantz, and this is Peter Mingles. Peter's here. Peter's here. And uh, we have John Ojaka. And I love that he said, like, Frere Jaca. <laughs> it's an awesome yep. reference. Howdy. Um, Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome, and 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 you are a music marketing manifesto. Is that is that how you what you go by? No, I have a site called musicmarketingmanifesto.com and a and a course slash book uh, by the same title. But uh, as a title, no, I, I suppose I'm a music marketing <laughs> consultant. <laughs> cool. Well, t- um, explain a little bit about music marketing manifesto. Um, what is it that the book is about? And I just I just thought, John, those I'm all ears and I'm taking notes because my son is a music major at school and he goes to Stetson University and we're trying to figure out what he's going to do when he graduates with a music major. So I am taking notes. Yeah, well, yeah, please do. He's probably going to throw it away and start from scratch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, not a big fan of what the big institutions have to offer. I suppose it's different when you're talking about specific um Skill sets and, and particularly engineering. Just try that, to make me I, feel good. Just say this, Hulk, <laughs> and even if you lie. To <laughs> what is he? What does he um, play? Or what, he plays. What he's, he's a talented kid. He plays percussion, and uh, he also sings a little bit in the choir. But really, if you can bang on it, he's really good at that part. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, cool. Um, well, the music marketing manifesto is, is basically, and I don't know how sort of far back you want me to go, but it's, it's something that's sort of kind of happened by accident, um, like, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but I, I am a musician, I've actually released albums for Interscope and Warner Brothers, and I first got signed back in 1999, I think it was, and they said at the time it was the biggest new artist signing in history, and I always qualify that because it's not like they actually publish these numbers anywhere or anything like that, but that's what the trade said, and at the very least it was a very large deal, and, <laughs> and, Future looked very bright for a moment, and the record came out and had its 15 minutes of MTV play and, and touring and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I didn't sell enough records, got dropped, uh, as is so commonly the story, got um, re-signed. There was actually a deal to Universal in there that I didn't even bother to mention just because it was sort of short-lived and got shuffled back over to uh, a Warner Brothers label. The record came out there. That was just a one-off and even put out a, a record after that on an indie label and just you know, kept that. It's still out. It's still making music. And but but after some time, those big advances on that first and the 
following albums started to dry up, and I realized, like, you know, this wasn't <laughs> going in the right direction, financially speaking, and I was going to actually need to get a job one of these days if I didn't do something to sort of turn around, and I did not want to do that um, at the, you know, dreaded day job. And so I um, I think probably like a lot of people saw one of those flashy red headlines out there saying, you know, if I bought some course on Internet marketing, it would teach me how to make a million dollars in my sleep with little to no effort or whatever other silly thing it was promising. And I bought the course and, you know, again, I was desperate at the time and hell-bent on trying to start some kind of a business that would allow me to avoid getting a traditional job and allow me to keep making music and that sort of thing. So I bought the course, followed the steps in the course, and um, lo and behold, well, it didn't make me a million dollars overnight or anything like that, but I did make one sale. I sold one product. It was actually a a cookbook of, of all things. It's just some digital product <laughs> I found in the ClickBank network. And but I made one sale and I got a taste and I was convinced that, you know, this this can work. You can actually sell things on the internet and you could start a business. So I became really obsessed with online marketing and I spent the next year reading and buying and watching probably five hundred to a thousand books and courses. I mean just everything I could consume on the subject of marketing. And um uh, fast forward uh, about a year into it, and it took a lot of trial and error, but I had built an online business that was quite successful. And today, in the last, say, four and a half years or so, it's probably brought in over $2 million in sales, something like that. And once my um, finances were kind of in order, it only made sense that I sort of returned my focus to music. And, you know, like I said, I never really stopped making music, but I had been focused on purely financial goals with my online business initially. Most of the initial money came from the health niche, nothing at all to do with music or entertainment. And uh, I started using everything that I learned to promote my own music, and it was working. I was seeing consistent sales, and that was something I was never able to do on my own. I always needed some huge team of people, relied entirely on them, you know, labels, managers, attorneys, booking agents, all that kind of stuff. And um, it always left you vulnerable, and very seldomly did people do their job, or at least, you know, what I thought they should be doing. And, and uh, for the first time, I was in control, and I was actually selling copies, and I was actually affecting my destiny as an artist. And started uh, getting pretty excited about it, sharing it with friends. Um, and one friend was putting out an album. We sort of teamed up, and I handled all the marketing for him, and I helped him set the all-time single-day sales record over at CD Baby, which is the uh, world's largest uh, distributor of independent music. And as a result, um, this sort of accidental career as a music marketing consultant was born. I was looking to expand into other online businesses and thought, you know, I should do something I, I really enjoy. And uh, that was that was working with artists. And so um, I put together a course, and that course involves the book by the same name, Music Marketing Manifesto, and uh, a number of videos. It's sort of this big multimedia package. And put that out, and, uh, you know, now uh, actually released several different courses. I have mastermind groups. I put out software for musicians and even work in some other markets as well. And um, in, in the entertainment industry, like film, and, and starting to work more with authors and things like that. And um, yeah, this, this sort of career as a music marketing consultant was born. That was a couple of years ago, and it's it's flourished into a thriving business with thousands of clients and something I really enjoy doing. So that's that's kind of what what at least uh, what it is. What the the subject matter is is something what I tend to focus on is something called direct response marketing or uh, as it's more commonly being referred to in artistic circles direct to fan marketing and what it essentially is is bypassing the traditional distribution channels that have really controlled the destinies of artists and marketing directly to fans um, however you know that in itself is not all that 
uh, interesting. You know, you're just, hey, you're selling your stuff to your fans. Everyone kind of gets that concept. But direct response marketing, which is, I think, really where direct-to-fan marketing was derived, is something that's been pretty well-established for over 100 years. And it's a, it's a marketing strategy that kind of um, it, it attempts to understand the psychological steps that a person needs to go through through before they're comfortable taking an action, in our case, buying our, our music or whatever product it is you're selling. And it's basically the art of, of generating subscribers, generating initial fans, and then building an authentic relationship with those fans while simultaneously walking them through um, a selling process and presenting them with various sales triggers that are designed to get people to, um, you know, to overcome resistance and get people to take action. And that's become part of our tribe and ultimately buy our music. So that's kind of what I teach, and that's the, the fundamental process behind the, the book and course. Awesome. So yeah, Peter knows a couple of things about direct response marketing, don't you, Peter? Yeah, we do some of that stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was fascinated with the story so far, So, and I really love the evolution of where your career has taken you. So in the traditional sense, it sounds like that's really not the way things work very much anymore. Or it's kind of like a slippery slope where you don't have as much control, you know, where you go for the record labels and maybe the big advanced and maybe, you know, having challenges if you're not like an instant success. Or how has the industry changed relative to the old way that some people might think about how people might be promoted? Right. I'm, uh, correct me if I'm missing any part of that question or just get wrong. I mean, the industry, I think, has changed dramatically in a number of ways. I mean, in the, for starters, just the way people consume music is changing. Obviously, you know, we all used to go to the record stores, and uh, the distribution channels were fairly narrow and fairly defined and controlled by these large corporations. Obviously, the Internet has changed that over the last 10 years, Where, and it's amazing that it's it's really only been 10 or 12 years that the Internet has really had this defining presence in, in our society, but... Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's changed so much in such a short time. But um, obviously illegal downloads kind of changed things. They really shrunk the profit margin so that you, I mean, 12 years ago you had very little development taking place anymore. There used to be a lot more of it where a label would find a talent and nurture that talent and ultimately invest in it and get that music out because they so controlled that distribution channel that they could kind of define to a certain extent what um, the public was going to be exposed to and what they were ultimately going to like and buy. Um, but that obviously has changed with the, the speed at which information is transmitted and the power that the sort of average consumer has and the way, uh, again, going back to how um, those illegal downloads have really sh- and the sort of spreading out of that pie has really shrunken the profit margins that uh, the average label experiences so much so that they can't do that investing. They can't take any chances. And so they're, you know, if you're not on a TV show already famous or the winner of American Idol, it seems to be pretty hard these days to go and get somebody to uh, invest in your career and take any kind of a chance. So the um, the digital sorry. thing, the digital stuff really changed the industry is yeah. what I think I'm hearing. The idea that somebody was actually able to make a copy of something and then forward it to somebody else really flattened out everything and made it so diverse that it really shifted the whole game. I think so, yeah. That's definitely what I see. And, and again, more specifically, shrunk those profit margins. You know, it used to be the average, and I'm making up some numbers here, but um, the average successful artist on a label was selling, you know, 5, 10 million copies, and now they're huge artists are sometimes lucky if they're selling 1 or 2 million copies. And the labels have always sort of worked on this, um, this strategy 
they they would fail more than they would succeed. You know, very. I remember this is now a decade ago, but Arista at the time had I think something like a 50 percent, approximately 50 percent success rate, and that was huge in the industry. Meaning half of their artists would succeed, and the other half would sort of be considered failures and ultimately get dropped. Um, but the the amount of money that they would generate off of those successes would so dwarf. Uh, I mean, it was so large that it, it more, you know, more than covered the losses of a number of failures. And now that's not necessarily the case. They can't take those same chances. And so they're, what they're putting out there into the pipelines is very different than it once was. And it's leaving artists who are evolving organically with a lot less options than they once had. Um, again, we're talking about a, a number of different things and a number of different ways the music industry has changed, but that's at least from the artist's perspective, that's the most significant area that I see. Now, I'm always interested in like business models behind industries, and I would imagine record sales would be a portion of the profits. How about things like touring and merchandise, and how has that ratio, if, if you will, flipped or changed at all? That's a good question. I don't know exactly how it's changed across the board. That's not exactly an area that I sort of study. I kind of operate in a bubble. I have my own model, and I focus on the things that matter within that model. So in terms of what, you know, somebody working at a label might tell you, I, I couldn't say exactly how it's changed. I know it's certainly crucial. I know that the average artist, independent artist, um, is actually usually making – a fairly small amount of money on album sales. I know, you know, it used to be music licensing, for example, is a very large source of revenue for independent artists. And it used to be a situation where, at least in my circle of musician friends in the world that I was in, very only the signed artists, only the people who really had connections in, in a sort of major way were landing any kind of music licensing now I see uh, independent artists who are selling very few copies of their albums, just maybe supporting themselves with the odd sales at shows and tours and things like that. They're actually landing these licensing deals that are actually um, keeping them afloat as, as artists and supporting their businesses. So for for people that might not be familiar with the term music licensing, what does that mean to like an everyday guy? What does that mean? Like gotcha. what, essentially what you just see? getting your. No, I mean, like, Sorry? what is the music? Like, what is the music license? If I was a regular person, I might not know what that means. Does that mean that my music's played in an elevator, or does that mean that my music is played somewhere else? What does that mean? Well, it can literally mean all of it to some extent, but largely what people are talking about is advertising, television, and film. You know, when you're wa watching a movie and you see hear some song in the background, even if it's a scene where somebody's listening to the radio and it's some tiny little tingy sound somewhere off in the radio that. That song has to be licensed. Somebody has to pay for the right to use that. Got it. Um, okay. It could be, uh, be yeah. Um, I don't actually think that there are any kind of licensing deals when someone is say playing Muzak, although they are paying royalties usually, or they're supposed <laughs> to be on and and things like that that play music. They pay different kinds of royalties than say a radio station. But um, but usually when we're talking about licensing, yeah, we're talking about landing a song in an ad film and a television show and quite a lot of money can be generated that way and often these aren't you know huge payouts it might just be two thousand dollars five thousand dollars um you know i've had a few tracks at the end credit on that film what happened recently it was a couple of years ago now i guess but um uh, that was a big payout although that went mostly to the label and the publishing company but um <laughs> but there is 
As can happen. Okay, we have a, a nice little musical break and uh, with, with some of our fabulous guest music, and we will be back shortly. And I don't know if we're back or if we have something else coming, but welcome back to the Dash Radio. <laughs> okay, no, I think we're back. <laughs> that was awesome, John. So, Thanks. so tell Thanks. me, are we gonna? Are you still pursuing your music career? Because that's some really good stuff. I have people lighting up my my Skype chat, going, "He's awesome! How come he's not out there? Can they buy your music still?" Well, yeah, yeah, no, it's all it's all out there. You can find it on iTunes and wherever music is sold. Um, I'm definitely still making music. I've got album number four in the can, and that'll hopefully uh, be out this year. 
juggling a whole lot of stuff, you know, with all this uh, business stuff and then my own artistic uh, pursuits, which don't sort of just stop with um, music. I've also written a book that will hopefully get out this year. Just had two children in the last few years, so I'm trying to juggle that all and get it all done. But uh, the album is in the can, and, and it'll it'll be out um, again hopefully sometime this year. Um, so, yeah, no, it definitely um, that's the beauty of what I do is it not only um, – gives me the ability to keep making music for the rest of my life, but sort of requires me to do so. I can't be a very effective teacher of this stuff if I'm not out there doing it. So, um, that's yeah. That's true. Yeah, well, that's awesome, and uh, congratulations on the... You had two kids this year, you said? No, in the last couple of years. I have one. Oh, okay. I thought maybe twins were in congratulations <laughs> order for you. <laughs> Your hands were way more full. <laughs> yeah, and so, I'm um, a year old and I'm just, or five months old. Five months oh, old. so your hands are definitely full. Absolutely. Yeah. Mine, mine were all three years apart, and it's great. It's just a little chaotic right right where you're at right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that much promised period of uh, things sleep. coming down. Yeah, sleep. yeah when they're oh, 20. Yeah, it, it works about when they're 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, um, Dom, before we, fit, before we get started, I just want to um, make sure everybody knows how to spell his name because he's so good you want to look him up and also his website. So it's John, and then the last name is O-S-Z-A-J-C-A, which most people would never figure out how to spell on their own. So it would be O-S-Z-A-J-C-A. And the website is musicmarketingmanifesto.com. So musicmarketingmanifesto.com. So great stuff. Love the, and I love the song. Okay, great. if I could jump back in. You were you went through your traditional radio. I'm sorry, your traditional music stuff, and then you hit the 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 place where you said, hey, "I don't know if this is going to continue working the way it does." And then right. then you decided to, you know, you throw all the chips away and you'd say, "I think I'm going to buy one of those marketing books," <laughs> 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 which is a little bit off course, but it actually led you in the right direction. So right. talk to us about how you made that transition from you know, a guy maybe up on stage and you know stringing on the guitars and stuff like that and doing all the fun stuff, or at least my perception of the fun stuff, and now all of a sudden learning the marketing in a new technology where chances are you were almost like a pioneer kind of learning it in your industry. So talk to us about that. Sure. Um, well, I, I think the first time I can remember kind of having a few light bulbs go off like, you know, what's going on out there? How, what is this whole online marketing thing? I was actually, it was my last record. Um, uh, and it was, unfortunately all three out label or albums that I put out have all been on labels, which has left me with my hands a little bit tied in terms of promotion that I've been able to do on my own stuff. I can do these limited one-off type of promotions. Um, this album that's in the can now will be the first full blown release of my own that I can finally turn on all this marketing stuff. But, um, on the last album, which, was on an indie label. I was out there, um, you know, very, very nice guys, but, um, you know, they were, it was, I was their first artist and they were not very effective to be honest about, um, promotion. So I got desperate and tried to do anything that I could. And this is back in the days of MySpace. I think it was 2007 when that album came out. Um, and MySpace was still the big social media site. And like every musician on the planet at the time, I was using these, 
bots, this uh, MySpace friend adder software. I don't know if you had any awareness of that stuff or whatever, but it basically was a tool to go and spam everybody on the planet to check out your music. Um, it was not effective, and I certainly don't recommend those kinds of tactics at all. Um, but it was all anyone seemed to know how to do. It seems to be all most musicians seem to know how to do these days. Um, but I was buying this software and spending a lot of time. I, I did see that it would always drive traffic. It just never really ended up in any kind of sales. Um, and I, But I was playing with this traffic. It was the only tool that I had, or the software. It was the only kind of tool I had to promote my stuff. And I would spend time in the forums whenever there'd be problems or, you know, trying to figure things out. And I'd see all these other people using the software to actually sell stuff that, you know, wasn't as subjective as music. They were selling just standard products that you see out there, whether they were ringtones or internet marketing books or TV on the internet or whatever other silly thing they were doing. And that was when I kind of, um, a few light bulbs went off um, that, you know, okay, somebody's making money out there. What is this all about? And I started diving in and checking it out. I mean, as you say, I was kind of hitting a point that after three records and actually four record deals and the, the graph chart in terms of my finances was just going in one direction. It wasn't a good one. Um, I was sort of, yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever totally embraced the idea that it was over, but I was starting to wonder if maybe it was, and I did not have designs at the time on putting another album out. I didn't know what more I could do. So, um, you know, that was uh, the transition for me into the marketing thing, and and initially, like I said, it was a very different space I was working in. I was working in the health niche and selling health-related products, and so I'd, while I I believed in what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of personal passion there, um, but it was nice seeing that the revenue come in. You know, to go from uh, I, I can remember when I first got started with it, talking to my she was my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, about this whole thing, and I just was saying to her like, if I could only make you know five thousand dollars a month with this somehow, then I don't have to get a job and I could keep doing music. And I remember her sort of saying, you know, very kindly, do you really think that's possible? Because it was so many months of struggling and just making a few hundred dollars. But once I sort of stumbled on that right combination, which I think is ultimately just offering people something of real value, finding a hot market, getting that, that item in front of those people, and then taking care of your customers with great customer support, it's hard to sort of fail with that combination. Um, and, but amazingly, there's a lot of trial and error before you get there. And once it finally took off, I mean, I was seeing months, no joke, with within like nine months of that first successful business taking off the ground where I brought in $120,000 in a month working on my laptop and my underwear in my apartment, you know, <laughs> it was a fantastic um, transition and I have a fantastic feeling to make that transition from just, I don't know, a life of anxiety about every endeavor I ever had because I had no control to suddenly feeling like I could affect my outcome. And I think that's been the real uh, takeaway or the, the real valuable experience in this process is I no longer feel vulnerable. A lot of people, particularly musicians and artists, hate marketing. It's a big evil word, but to me, marketing is just power. It's understanding how to um, affect the, the world around us and ultimately get people to take the actions that we want them to take, however you slice it or whatever you call it. I mean, it is ultimately power, and um, it's been tremendously positive for me in that regard. Um, again, I, I think on a broader sense, that's what we're—that's the world that we're looking at, the world of media that we're looking at going forward. Is you know we really are—and I, I didn't coin this phrase by any means—but we really are the media. You know, we are finding more and more and more ways to bypass 
these traditional distribution channels that have put a stranglehold on art. And anyone with a little bit of work ethic and a little drive and a, and a good idea can do it. It still takes some savvy and it still takes developing a skill set. But, you know, what we're seeing with crowdsourcing, which is something that I traditionally was kind of down on, I now, because I, I saw it as maybe begging or something like that, I now see it as just an exchange with with uh, the consumers out there where you're all bypassing these networks or radio stations or, you know, uh, publishers, whatever art form we're talking about, uh, who think they know best and we are dealing directly with the consumers and it's true supply and demand and it's it's really exciting. And again, it's it's real power for the people who want to take this stuff by the horns and apply it to their lives. I totally agree, and i got to just, like, give my two cents on that because, you know, we have – I have a really good friend who uh, – she was the president or vice president of Clear Ch- – uh, not – excuse me, Clear Channel's competitor, Interrupt Marketing. She went out on her own. Her name's Deb Durbin, fantastic, fantastic mind out of New York. And when I told her that we were going to do a radio show, you know, she gave me some real insight into what terrestrial radio was like these days. Um, she told me she couldn't even get Jane Fonda a show, you know. <laughs> it's just, the landscape out there is just impossible. She said, go web and let the people decide. And it's just it's so empowering to be able to go ahead and, you know, do your dream, you know, and let, let your peers make their decision. You know, you know stand or fall, it's going to be between you and your fans. And uh, it's, a pretty awesome, it's a pretty awesome place to live, right? Yeah. Exciting times. Well, I don't know where Mr. Laxle is. He's probably telling us that we're almost out of time for our next commercial break. I don't know. Is he here? We have this crazy guy we call him Axel. John. He's so here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
that's another little ditty by John Azaka. And, um, you know, this is just way too much fun, Peter. We have to have more musicians. We do. We don't I'm need commercials. You. Forget the sponsors. That's right. <laughs> just stuff. play music. Yeah. And, John, you are a totally new jargon and totally new words for people like myself because I was never in the music industry. I just kind of like listening to music, if you know what I mean. So you mentioned things right. like music licensing, and then you mentioned things like crowdsourcing. And I know some of us just don't know what that means. So sure. there's a lot of people that are listening in. You mentioned crowdsourcing and how you poo-pooed it initially, and then all of a sudden. So I don't even know what crowdsourcing means. What is that? Crowdsourcing just basically means going to your fans or a crowd and asking them for money to, to uh, fund a project in advance. So it's kind of like going after investors, although typically there's sort of some pre-existing relationship or at least pre-existing interest there. Um, it doesn't necessarily, of course, have to be people you know, although it typically is people reaching out to their base. So for a musician, for example, um, Amanda Palmer is a, a pretty well-known musician who just did a campaign where she raised, I think she set the all-time record for a music project. She raised over a million dollars. I think it was close to 1.1 1. 1 or just after that from her fans to I saw that on album. Ted, Actually, I, think that I saw that on TED.com. Yeah, she was a speaker on, on TED.com and, uh, uh, recently, and that was a great – she made such a great point um, uh, and a correction on something I said. She didn't actually fund her album. She funded the marketing and touring of that album. She actually had already made the album. But she made such a fantastic point in that um, speech where she was on an indie label, uh, or, or I think they're still considered an indie – I think it was Roadrunner, I believe, and she um, – what was it, uh, had sold 25,000 copies, and I'm sure I'm getting some of the details wrong, but what I remember was something like she'd sold 25,000 copies, was all excited until they told her that, that was basically a big failure and they were dropping her, and, you know, that was considered an absolute um, disaster. And then she went out and started this indie career, and, and really she's really embraced social media and blogging and does a fantastic job communicating with her fans. And so she sets this record, and at the end of the day, there were approximately 25,000 backers of this project that generated over a million dollars. Um, and so it just kind of shows that these, this new model is, um, you know, it's not necessarily about selling 10 million albums, but it's about having just a, a few thousand really dedicated fans who are digging what you're doing and are willing to support it. Um, I think musicians maybe got it wrong. Maybe a lot of people got it wrong um, for a long time. It did come off, if I'm being honest, as sort of begging your friends, like, hey, support my stuff, and I was kind of um, turned off by it, like, you know, didn't want to go and make you a record, I want to make my own record, like, I don't know, fund it yourself, was my initial reaction to seeing this stuff, but it's changed because the I think, in part, the incentives have really changed, people are making the incentives genuinely valuable, or at least the campaigns that are, are doing a good job, so you can get some really cool stuff, particularly if you're a big fan of the person, and all you're essentially doing is ordering in advance. And where it's really kind of crystallized for me was on this new project that I'm sort of working on, which is a at least potential television project where we're um, possibly looking at um, creating some content out of our own budget and then building a base around that content and then going to that base and seeing if they're interested in supporting another series in advance to give us our, our money to go out and make that next, or not series, but next season rather. And it made somehow perfect logical sense to me that this isn't um, begging for donations. This is simply asking the consumer directly, do you want this product? 
and giving them a number of really cool ways to consume that that product uh, if they're only willing to part with the money in advance. So again, how many of us, for example, using TV as an example, uh, lo have loved the television show that was doing great, getting great critical reviews, but then the network canceled it because it wasn't getting you know, 20 million viewers, and instead it was getting 17 or whatever, you know, I don't know how many viewers a successful show needs to get, but you know what I'm saying. Um, great shows get canceled all the time, and you see this huge reaction from the public. Well, we just saw this, um, I'm actually totally spacing on the name of the show, is it Veronica Mars, or what's the name of that hit show that's got Mars in the title? They just they just got canceled, and they went out. This is actually happening right now on Kickstarter, um, which is sort of the leading crowdsource, uh, crowdfunding platform. Um, and I think they're at about $4 million. I was just talking about this to someone this morning. Their show got canceled, and they want to turn the idea into a movie. Um, and they uh, have reached out to their fans who wanted more of the show, and, and they've got $4 million to make that movie so far, and there's still a lot of time left on that campaign. So... Um, it gives us as consumers and as artists a lot more power um, to just say, screw it, we don't care what record labels think we want. I mean, how many of us sat around talking about how bad modern music is? Well, let's just bypass the record labels altogether and cut deals directly with the artists and, and fund them and get exactly what we want from this planet and from this collective pool of genius that is out there. And when I looked at that concept, because I watched that by only coincidence, I'm a big fan of TED.com. And when I watched her sure. thing on crowdsourcing, I didn't know, what, I, I probably forgot that's what she called it, but I said, what a wonderful idea. If I had an artist that I liked, it would almost be like a privilege to be part of whatever they were doing on their next project. I could actually have my perception of a piece of ownership of it, if you will. So I can, sure. yeah, I can definitely I'm, see I'm how that works. Yeah, I'm talking to Rachel Fields about crowdsourcing the CD she wants to go do in the next couple of weeks. You're going to have that opportunity. Yeah, and she told such a wonderful story, too. It was almost as if, uh, for her, it was a life-changing life experience as well because she really took it to the next level. She found places to sleep, and she found people to hang out with, and people that were really <laughs> friendly. It was a whole life event. And as an artist, you know, it's not maybe always about the money, she said. It was about the whole experience. All right, I want to come back to maybe some of the stuff you do for your clients before we run out of time because you're doing sure. the stuff with marketing. You're doing the stuff with, it sounds like, hey, if I had an idea that I wanted to kind of get off the ground, I would come to someone like yourself who would be able to show me some of the proven steps instead of me making all the mistakes on my own. And paying you as a client would be certainly worth it because whatever you're going to charge me for a client, I'm going to wind up spending a gazillion times more on my own mistakes and delay my future levels of success. So what do you do for people? How do people find you as a client? Tell us about that. Sure. Um, I have a, a number of different services. Um, I don't, unfortunately, get, you know, time being as limited as it is. I don't have too many opportunities to work directly with people, although I do do it. It tends to usually be from my sort of pool of friends or customers that I've become very familiar with. Um, with that said, you know, I do occasionally respond to something in an, in an email that somebody has sent in and ultimately a direct one-on-one -on -one working relationship is formed. But I usually refer somebody to one of my courses first because I teach everything that I do in those courses. I have two primary products. Um, one is, again, Music Marketing Manifesto, and that teaches people the basic foundation of the direct response marketing campaign that I use and recommend and have had results with. Then I also have um, a 
mastermind group called the Insider Circle, and that's basically something. It's a it's pretty cheap. It's about twenty seven bucks a month, and people join that. And there's a forum, monthly training modules, and a library, and group coaching calls, things like that. That basically just allow people to sort of stay on the cutting edge. They're always learning new stuff, and they have a place that they can ask questions, be it in the forum or uh, directly to me in these coaching calls. So it gives people a little more one-on-one guidance and continued learning beyond that. And it's a lot cheaper than hiring me uh, for direct consulting. I do um, do offer like phone consulting and things like that um, where I charge by the hour and occasionally take on clients one-on-one. I'm, I'm actually moving more in that direction of possibly setting up more of an agency type of thing, at least for musicians, where I can take on clients and really handle complete campaigns, but um, but right now that's still in its very early beta stages. Typically the, the one-on-one, um, typically the consulting I do is mostly just simple sort of, hey, let's get on the phone and let me help solve your problem. Um, but uh, I usually, like I say, direct people towards the, the courses or the insider circle because you get all of that same stuff for a fraction of the price. Excellent. Now you said, um, I, I picked up on a couple of things that you said early on that was really important to you. And one of them was customer service. And we only have about two or three minutes before we hit the next break. But talk to me about how important customer service was to you in the early stages of getting this whole thing started. Because it sounded like there wasn't a whole bunch of customer service related to other programs you were working. Yeah, I think it's been key to everything. I really, really uh, stress out about making sure that every single person gets taken care of and in a timely manner. Um, I've the very first money I put into my business in terms of hiring a team was to get somebody to help me go through all the emails and make sure people were getting responded to as quickly as possible. And in all of my businesses, that's been the real key, I think, is taking care of people and that human touch that people are so used to not getting from online businesses. You typically, at least I don't don't know about you, but I'm pretty over that feeling of sending off three questions to a company, getting one of those answers replied by somebody who is does not seem to be within the United States or even necessarily understand my problem. Um, and so I just really try to take care of people. I really took a lot from Gary Vaynerchuk, who you guys are probably familiar with, but if anyone who's not, he's a best-selling author and the founder of winelibrary.tv and the author of Crush It, um, and a couple of the thank you economy and a number of things. A really brilliant guy, and uh, he just really takes care of people. And I remember emailing him once years ago when I was, kind of early. Actually, I've done it a couple times, and half of the time, half of me is doing it just as a test to see how he responds. And he always, he has this video reply that everyone gets saying that, you know, he's going to try, but he just gets too much email. And it's really kind of personal, and I really appreciate it um, because it makes you see that he does care about you. And and he's basically setting you up for the fact that he might not be able to reply. And every single time I've emailed the guy, he replies, and it just is so touching and um, makes me appreciate him so much. It's made me such a loyal fan of his, I'll buy everything the guy puts out, and I try to bring that into my own business as well. It's just I, I believe that uh, if you take care of people, they appreciate you, and they trust you, and they're more likely to do business with you, so it's paramount to everything I've done, and, and I receive a lot of compliments, um, if it's fair to say, on it, and um, I believe my success has been, if one, uh, aside from the basic strength of products, I think the single factor that has led to success is taking care of people. So easy to talk about, much harder to do, and I'm sure you spent a lot of extra hours doing that sort of work, going the extra mile for your customers. Sure. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Axel, I think, is going to spin your next record. Great.
golden man Doing time Whisper sweet One little word It's like the lightning When it touches down to earth Wait until you're absolutely sure For sure And uh, you are listening to The Dash Radio, <clears throat> one of our favorite music nights. And uh, John is in music marketing, 
as well as a musician in his own right. So uh, if you are interested in going ahead and and getting him to do some work for you, if you're a musician and looking to get out there, you can head on over to www.musicmarketingmanifesto.com and uh, and check him out, get in touch, and we will have a full post with all of his contact information and everything you need over on the Dash Radio shortly. So you'll be able to catch this episode, get all of his information, get in touch with him, and uh, and also get his music. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, John. This has really been fun so far. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for having me. My biggest regret is I have a bazillion questions and only about nine more minutes. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you'll join us again. Yes, we're going to have to have you back for sure. And uh, make sure that you go and sign on Facebook because I'm trying to track you down. Cool, yeah, uh, I will definitely do that. <laughs> I, I, I've always been fascinated with, now You know, I told you my son picked up music, and he picked up music by absolute mistake. He was, sit, he was sitting in the uh, cafeteria, and the chorus teacher came up to him and four other boys and said, if you guys try out for chorus, you don't have to go to class next, period. <laughs> so he did what every other person would do, and he had a, kind of a deep voice, and she picked him for chorus. And then all of a sudden he met the band, and that's when he started doing the percussion thing. And I really, I mean, music is such a wonderful thing. I could see how it's going to be part of his life forever. But it's a new industry for me. I'm I was the guy on the football field, and now I go to the football games to watch the band, which is really, <laughs> which is really kind of weird. But I love music, and the, and you know I know how important that is in people's lives. And ref, reference to you as a musician, um, do you write your own stuff? Do you do you like where do you get your inspiration from, and how may has it how has it maybe changed now that you have kids, if at all? Um, I do write my own stuff. I've actually um, on this current album that I've got in the can, I've got a few covers, which is sort of the first time, I think it's the first time that I can think of off the top of my head of any time, of an album where I've ever included any cover songs. Um, this current album I'm doing is a little more on, it's like alternative bluegrass kind of thing. It's not quite traditional bluegrass, but um, it's got, it's steeped in those kind of influences, um, and it's sort of only thing fitting as bluegrass is storytelling music to tell some traditional stories as well and give it a sort of modern slant. Um, but, uh, but yeah, traditionally I write my own stuff. In terms of inspiration, it just comes from any old weird place. You know, it could be watching a TV show and somebody says something. I could be just staring off at a photograph. And it, it's all sort of imagery-based, at least for me. I'm not really a craftsman. Some people can really sit down and decide that they want to write songs um i've maybe done that once or twice but i find that like pulling teeth um for me it's just this random moment of the muse strikes you over the head and some stream of consciousness <laughs> kind of pours out of you and you and you have a song at the end of it um in terms of it hasn't really changed at all since having kids um the only thing i could probably add to that is just that uh, and not just uh, after having kids but even the business as well that's, I probably write a lot less than I once did, if I'm being honest, just because there's so much more taking up my time. Whereas as a young single guy, I was just sitting around hungover all the time <laughs> and with a guitar in my lap and had a lot more time to crank out songs. But, but the process you know, is basically the same. Do you do any blues, John? 
Um, not traditional blues, but I certainly in, like blues music, and that that influence is all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I feel I that influence music. behind you. It's um, I got the opportunity as a singer to just learn to sing improv blues in Kathmandu, Nepal, and it was the most terrifying musical experience of my life. And I, I'm oh so impressed now whenever I hear people do it because I know that they've got they're just going, and it's just terrifying and exciting. And and uh, I just heard some blues influence in there, and I didn't know. If that was part of what you do. But, yeah, um, not in there. Good let's music, go, though. Yep, let's go back to the kids thing, because I really think the career path that you're choosing will probably mean you might even be or have the opportunity to be a better dad because of the opportunity to do all the things you're doing on the Internet and with all the leverage you're developing all over the place. As sure. before, As a traditional musician, you might have probably been away from home more than you would have been at home. So, how much how much of this stuff that you do um, allows you to be able to be a better dad? I think it's tremendous. I think about that all the time. I get to wake up every day with my kids, get to come in throughout the day, and just even if it's just grabbing some coffee. I, we uh, split our time between Los Angeles and New Zealand. I'm currently actually calling in from New Zealand. We have a little house out here. My wife is, is a Kiwi. And uh, we live in the absolute middle of nowhere in New Zealand. I mean, we're talking 45 minutes to a grocery store. And uh, in Hollywood, we're right smack in the middle of it, sort of on Beachwood up towards the Hollywood sign. Um, and very, you know, different environments. But um, so out here, I have a little office, and I get to come in and out throughout the day. And just I don't miss any of those key moments. And I think, uh, I, I think yeah, there, there's two sort of outcomes that life uh, could have presented had I not develop this marketing skill and business um, is one I could have had some success as a traditional artist and like you like you touch on been on the road forever um, which is usually the way it goes um, you know unless you're making just a bazillion dollars because of some enormously successful record um, that you can sort of sit, sit on for the rest of your life um, but so the likely outcome would have been touring forever uh, or worse getting some normal job after I decided that I couldn't make it in music and um, I'd be gone the entire day, you know, eight hours plus commute time. Um, with this, I'm present all day long. I can take a day off because I feel like it. I can um, do anything that I want and we get to travel the world, you know, just like I say, we're back and forth um, in New Zealand and um, and Los Angeles. Recently spent a few months in Europe working, um, you know, we did 12 countries in two months, working all the while and getting to spend all the time with, this is before my daughter was born, but with my son and my wife, and, you know, it's it's definitely great. I mean, you know, there are downsides, too, I suppose. There's a lot more stress because you're responsible for that income coming in every day, but I'd, I'd trade it a million times over for the perks. So when we talk about our radio show being the Dash, you've been able to fill in your dash, you know, the time from you when you start to, like, when you're finishing your life by making it more meaningful with the career path that you've created based on your talents, your creativity, your ingenuity, a lot of hard work, and passion for what you do. So that's heroic in my book. Wonderful example. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Really great. Wonderful, just inspirational beyond measure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So this is all right, for well, my thank son. You. Oh my gosh, I think I need to. I might be some hope for my son because I'm going to have a 24 year old 
who's going to be moving back home pretty soon. Not sure what he's not going to live on the couch forever just because he's a musician. There's hope. There's we hope. Just, we can crowdsource. We have a radio station. We're not going to let him starve, Peter. That's right. We're entrepreneurs. We can do this. It's all right. My daughter is a drama major. Okay, between the two of them, maybe we can set him up with something. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> we just need more guests. We'll get some actors that have made made, made careers online next. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I do look forward to connecting with you and seeing about some stuff we can do with you in the future. Your music is fantastic. You are just a pleasure to have on the show, and and uh, we'll be getting a bunch of people out there plugged into you. And uh, good luck with the new family and and in all that you do. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for joining us here at the Dash. We'll see you tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Take care now. Thanks for listening to the show. At The Dash, we know that your time is precious, and your choosing to spend it with us means a lot. To get reminders for our live shows that happen every Monday through Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, click follow on the top of any show. Also, subscribe to our blog for articles, inspirations, and great products and services for your ever-growing business at thedashradio.com. For upcoming mobile experience, text DASH to 37404. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Again, thanks for spending some of your Dash with us. We look forward to talking with you again soon.